Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. But speaking of football, a few months ago, I was watching Colorado Buffaloes, which is where Pastor Andre and Shauna's sons go. And uh, so now I'm a fan. And um, Dion Sanders is the, is the coach there. Their son, his son, Shadur Sanders, is the quarterback. And I was watching the Colorado State-Colorado game, which is a rivalry game, and it was coming down to the wire. And if I remember right, there was maybe like two minutes left or less, and Colorado State was up, and Colorado needed to score in the next two minutes, and they had the ball on like their own like eight-yard line. And, uh, and I remember watching the game going, okay, this is how legends are made. So let's see if Shadur's got legendary status in him. And I kind of knew that he did, but uh, they ended up coming back and tying the game and winning in overtime. And I remember, uh, I felt like God spoke to me when I said that in my head, uh, that's similar to the kingdom. And then shortly thereafter, um, I was watching this video of Kurt Cousins. And if you don't know Kurt Cousins, he's a quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. He's a, he's a really great Christian guy. And he's, um, he's kind of unassuming, but he wins. He, like, wins games. And so I was watching this video about him. And he recently, they recently um, had the biggest comeback in the history of the NFL. And if you're a quarterback in, in football, you get um, you become a legend by winning championships and, and comebacks. That's kind of how they measure your legendary status. If you can come back like Shadur did, or if you have if you have these these championships. And so Kirk Cousins and the Vikings were down by 33 at halftime. And in the first half of the game, there was like punts that were being blocked. There was interceptions being run back for touchdowns. There was um, uh, uh, just, you know, two fourth downs that got stopped. Like all the, the worst things that could happen to you as an offense and as a team happened in the first half. So they go down 33 nothing. But I love Kirk Cousins as I'm watching this video. He's talking about the, the atmosphere of the, of the locker room um, during that halftime. And he said that they still had faith for some reason. And I don't know if it's because he's a Christian or whatever, but he's like, all we got to do is score five touchdowns, you know, <laughs> in the second half. 33 nothing, but they're like, yeah, all we got to do is score five touchdowns uh, to win this game. And funny enough, it happened. So they come back from 33 to nothing and come back and win the game 39 to 36 in overtime. Best uh, coming, the biggest comeback in NFL history. And, um, and Jay Gruden texted him uh, and he said, hey, congratulations. This doesn't just happen to normal people. Um, you, uh, uh, you can't be average and, and have this happen to me. You have to be uncommon to do something like that. And so Kirk Cousins was talking about this. And then I, so I started to research what is the, or, or sorry, in this video, he starts to say, uh, talk about Frank Reich. So Frank Reich um, filled in in 1993. He was the previous biggest comeback in NFL history. He came back from 32 points down 
at halftime. And it was in his first playoff game ever, and he was filling in for the Hall of Famer Jim Kelly for the Buffalo Bills. So they were down 35-3 to at halftime, a 32-point deficit, and they came back to win the game in the second half. And Frank Reich, after Kirk Cousins beat his comeback record, 30 years later said, hey, for 30 years I've had this, this comeback uh, record and he said, um, that allowed me to preach the gospel to hundreds of thousands of people. And he said, now I'm passing the torch to you. Like, how cool is that? How cool is that? Because Frank Reich had the biggest comeback ever, they always wanted to do interviews and talk to him. And every time he did it, he would preach the gospel. He would share about Jesus, and he would thank God for uh, giving him the, the opportunity to do that. And I started thinking about that in, in the kingdom and how, 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 how do we look at adversity? Because without adversity, you can't become a legend. Without overcoming something, you can't become a legend. And so even if you have a 33 nothing deficit at halftime, we can't look at that like, man, God's trying to make me a loser. You got to look at it like God's trying to make me a legend. God doesn't want you to be a loser. He wants you to be a legend. But you got to be willing to overcome something. What a perspective to have that, man, all we need is five touchdowns. I like Kirk Cousins because he has faith. He has faith. The title of this message today is Legends. God wants to make you a legend. What's on the other side of your comeback? What's on the other side of us overcoming something? Is it being able to preach the gospel to hundreds of thousands of people? Is it being able to save somebody? Is it being able to encourage somebody? Is it being able to be an example to your kids or to your family or to your friends? Like, what's on the other side of our comeback? God wants to make you a legend. He never wants to make you a loser, but he has to test you because you can't be a legend without being tested. I like how Jay Gruden said, you're, un you're an uncommon person, because I think as kingdom people, we're uncommon. We're uncommon. If you know Jesus, you're uncommon. In fact, Jesus is the un in your common. He is the out in your standing. He is the extra in your ordinary. He is the super in your natural. He is the next in your level. Like, he is the game changer of your life. He's what makes you uncommon. And uncommon people do uncommon things if they realize that they're uncommon, if they realize that God is with them. The title of this series is called God With Us, Emmanuel, God With Us. If you know that God is with you, man, you can do uncommon things. You can be an uncommon person. You can be extraordinary. You can stand out. You can do the impossible because with God, all things are possible. I was talking on Wednesday that God's with us. I know that because I've received Christ, but are you with God? Because with him, all things are possible. If you do this, you're gonna be with God. And if you're with God, anything is possible. Even a, overcoming a 33-0 deficit at halftime, it's possible. But it's only possible by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe. So if you want to come to God, you got to believe. you got to have faith. If you want to be with God, you got to have faith. That he is not, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What the, one of the ways, one of the things I try to think about when I'm facing adversity, when I'm on the comeback, is that it's an opportunity for me to please God. It's an opportunity for me to exercise my faith. It's an opportunity for me to grow and see God do something magnificent because you don't need faith if you already have the money in the bank. 
You don't need faith if you're already healed. You need faith to get to those places. And that's that season, that's that gap where you can please God by exercising your faith. And if you can, if he can, if he can trust you, if he sees that you have faith in adversity in this season, he's going to be able to trust you in the next season. He always is trying to grow you. He's always trying to stretch you. But are we willing to believe him with faith? He's with us, but are we with him? So I want to talk to you today about a few legends in the Bible and what they had to overcome uh, to become legends of Christendom and legends in the Bible. The first one, and I'm going to go straight to the, to the faith chapter in Hebrews 11. It's a great chapter if you ever want to read the Bible and get pumped up on uh, what people had to overcome. Read uh, Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. Uh, the, first, the first man is Abraham. Abraham. And uh, in Hebrews 11, 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. See, Abraham was, was um, destined to be the father of faith. In the Bible, we know Abraham as being the father of faith. But right now, in this time, he was in the comfort zone. He was at his father's house. He was getting taken care of. He didn't have to pay rent, probably. He was just chilling in his father's house. But God said, you know what? If you're going to be the father of faith, I got a destiny for you. I need you to start exercising your faith. I want to see if I can trust you. So I want you to get out of your father's house and go to a place which I will show you. You don't know where you're going to go, but as you go, I will continue to show you. The comfort comfort zone is contrary to the faith zone. The comfort zone is where dreams come to die. So if you want to, if you want to fulfill your dreams, you got to get out of the comfort zone. You got to believe God for something. Every, every like few years, I, I get this burden in me that I got to believe God for something bigger. I, got, I need to stretch myself. I want to see God do something. I want to have a testimony. I want to see a miracle. And so the only way to do that is to step out by faith, is to hear from God and go do what he says. I like Abraham because he got out of his father's house. He had no, way, no, no idea where he was going to go, but he had faith that God was going to show him. That was the prerequisite for him being called a legend, a, a father of faith for all of us. In Genesis 12, 1 to 4, this is when God comes and talks to him about it. He says, now the Lord said this to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in all and in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is a pretty big calling for Abraham, but I like one of the things that stands out to me in that scripture is God comes to him and he says, he says, I want to make, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will na make your name great. And I like how Abraham doesn't um, confront God and say, I'm not worthy. You don't know what I've done in the past. Abraham just steps out and says, yeah, I want, I want that to happen. I'm going to go out and do it. I think a lot of us uh, undervalue ourselves or, or think we're unworthy for God to make us great, for God to make us legends. But Abraham didn't argue. He saw the deficit, 33 nothing. He saw the deficit, but he's like, all we need is five touchdowns. God, just show me where to go, and I'm going to go. 
And so he goes and he gets, he gets out of his house, out of his country, and, uh, and he begins to go and lets, lets God show him where he's going to go. You guys, uh, you guys know the story, uh, a lot of you, of, of kind of like our house journey, and some of you are probably sick of me talking about it, but about 18 months ago, God told us to sell our house. Now, we were in a, a house that we loved. It was, the, it was the redemption house. We had lost everything in 2008 to 10, and now uh, we, it had taken us like eight years, and we finally got a house, and it was, a, it was an extraordinary place. We loved it. It was like 18 months earlier. I just got it how I wanted it. I had the barbecue that I, that I had saved up for. I had the fire pit that I had saved up for. We had a killer pool. I still have a soul tie probably to my pool <laughs> and my fire pit. I need to get deliverance, Pastor Shelley. First step to being free is to admit you have a problem. So I have a problem. Even today, I still have the problem. But, but, but we loved this place. It was the redemption place. Like, it meant something to me. It was like a promise of God for us. It was prophesied about. We got it, and now God's saying, I want you to, I want you to sell it. He said, I want you to sell it uh, because I, by you selling it, it's going to unlock the other campus for the central region, which is now Bejo. So we've, we've talked about the story, but, but it, was, it was God's trying to take me to the next level. It was God saying, get out of your house. Tr can you trust me with your life? Can you trust me with your family? Can you trust me with your finances? And, and when he first said to sell the house, I was like, or, or sorry, to move, I was like, well, I'm going to try to keep the house because what if, you know, in the future, I want to move back because I like this house, you know, and, and I did everything I could, talked to banks, you know, ran the numbers, and I didn't feel like God wanted me to downgrade. I thought he wanted, I thought he was trying to increase us as far as where we were living, and so I realized we have to actually sell the house, and then I was like, well, we can sell the house, and because, you know, the market's pretty hot, I, as a seller, I can say, put a contingency in there that says, uh, uh, sell is contingent on seller finding another, another house first. And then I felt God say, that's not faith. That's not faith. That's not stepping out like Abraham and just going to a land in which I will show you. And so, so we, we said, forget it, babe. We're just selling it. I don't, I don't know where we're going to go. We had a 60-day rent back. I thought maybe we'd find another house in the 60 days, but we didn't. But what we did find is we found a friend who called us and said, hey, you can live in our Cardiff house because we're moving. Uh, and you can live there for a couple of months for free in a house overlooking the ocean that usually Airbnbs for twenty to 30000 a month, but you can live there for free for two months while you're looking. So I'm like, oh, this is God. It was like God showed up again. And I think literally, supernaturally, I think God allowed us to assimilate into these new places that we were living like very, very quickly. And that's another reason how I knew God was in it because he will give you peace that is beyond understanding. Um, and so we move into this house. Immediately we felt at home. Uh, I mean, it wasn't hard because you're overlooking, you know, the ocean. And, you know, it's not like we were struggling for Jesus or anything. But, but, but we were still didn't know where we were going to live. And then, and then we didn't find the house in 60 days. So then we got, we didn't know where we were going to go. So we got another call. Uh, and they said, and these, these people said, oh, you can live in our Coronado house that we're about to rip down. But we've stopped renting it because we're just waiting for the permits. And so we moved in there right across the street from the golf course in Coronado overlooking the Coronado Bridge. I mean, we were struggling <laughs> for the Lord. 
But it was still hard. Like we were putting in offers and not getting them accepted and we didn't find anything we liked and I was addicted to Redfin and it's probably unhealthily looking like three or four times a day at the same houses, you know? And, uh, and we didn't know where we were gonna go until we, and funny enough, and then we get another, uh, I call Colby uh, Gardner, who's a property manager and she's, I said, do, we, do you have any houses? Like we only have a couple more weeks here. And she's like, oh, well actually, Pastor Jurgen and Leanne's first house that they ever bought in San Diego, the renters just moved out. Um, you could probably move in there. And I said, well, can we do month to month? Because I don't know when I'm going to find a house. She said, yes, you can. And so we move into their place month to month. We could stay there as long as we want, um, you know, as long as we're paying rent. And, uh, <laughs> but we could get out in a month if we find a house. It was like the perfect scenario. It was a nice place in Carmel Valley, close to the kids' school, which was another reason we were moving to get closer to their school. They go to Maranatha in like Forest Ranch area. And so, and so we move into there, and we're still looking. And at this point, it's coming up on a year. And I'm thinking, man, did I, did I miss God? You know, you have those moments. I'm sure Abraham was walking in the wilderness going, did I miss you, God? Like, where am I going? And uh, God saying, nope, just keep going, just keep going. And I've found whenever, whenever I start to doubt where I'm going, I have to look back and remember what did God say. And then look at all of the trails of, the, of God in that journey. And so I had to go look back and look back and look back. But there were times where we would go to pray and I'd be like, oh my gosh, did I just uproot my family? And now I'm going to have to rent forever and not be able to find a house because I wasn't going to move into a place that wasn't God. I wanted to make sure it was a God move. And so then we started looking and I, and I, and I looked at this house and it was in Escondido, South Escondido, and I didn't want to move to Escondido. I wanted to move into Poway because that's where I wanted to move. And I, I realized that it was probably pride for me um, because we could have moved to Poway, but we could have no way got the house that we got in Escondido in Poway. And so I looked at this house. It's in Escondido. I'm like, babe, we can't go look at that because if we go look at it, I'm going to like it. And then we're going to, and I'm going to want to move there, but we can't move there because we're moving to Poway. <laughs> and, uh, and so <clears throat> the house, uh, after 30 days, comes down $200,000 in price. And then so I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this thing didn't sell yet. Like, what is happening? God, is this, like, what are you doing? And then, and then I go, all right, let's just go look at this place. You know, let's just see if the Holy Ghost stops us or, or if it's a green light. And so we go look. We end up meeting the owners of the house. Um, they were there. The, the real, a real estate agent wasn't there. It was just us and the owners. And we walk around, and, and I knew I'd like the house, and I liked the house. And so um, the next day, uh, I, I said, hey, can we bring our kids back? It's a good strategy to get your kids, you know, introduce your kids to the owners because sometimes people like families moving into their house. That's, it's a big deal because these guys built the house. So it was their house that they built for their future, but then their kids all moved to Washington, so now they're moving to Washington. So they weren't thinking about moving. Anyways, um, we end up getting the house for another $200,000 off. So $400,000 off the list price, we end up moving into the house. And I've been sending it to, I was sending it to people and people are like, oh my gosh, you stole that place. Like, how, you know, you can't replace what you got for that money. And so God was testing us um, the whole time. And we would go to our friends that had had been in long, you know, house journeys to get encouragement because, you know, we were, we were, um, being getting discouraged, but because we were able to continue in faith with God, 
he has taken our faith level to the next level. Like now I have a testimony about God's faithfulness, and now I'm more secure when I hear his voice because I, was, I took a huge step of faith out, and, uh, and now he confirmed his word. So, so I want to ask you this question this morning, and, and even as we're moving into 2020 more, 2024, I want to ask you this question. Is there a, are you, are you, um, have you become satisfied or content in the comfort zone? Or is God asking you to, to make a move, to believe him for something so he can take you to legendary status? Is there, is there some adversity in your life? Is it a relational thing? Is it a health thing? Is it a way of thinking thing? And, and does it look like there's no way this can happen? There's no way God can actually do this. But I'm telling you, God's not wanting to make you a loser. He's wanting to make you a legend. But it takes us stepping out and partnering with him before he will make us that legend. But if you can believe him for this, if you can get out of your comfort zone, then he will have the confidence and the faith to trust you with more. Can somebody say amen? amen. The last thing I'll say about that is in, in Genesis 13, when Abraham goes out, he finally separates with his nephew Lot. Lot was with him, and because they had so much livestock and so much resources, they actually had to separate. And the Bible says that, that Abraham said, you know what, Lot, you can, you can pick whatever you want to do. I know God's going to show me where he wants me. And so the Bible says in, in Genesis 13, 11, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Because Lot chose for himself, the Bible says that he settled in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we all know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Abraham didn't choose for himself, but let God show him where to go, which was a huge thing for us because we were, we were wondering, is this the house? Is this the house? We would make offers, um, you know, giving God an opportunity, or we would skip uh, on trying to buy different houses because we just didn't feel like it was God. We didn't feel uh, like it was his thing. Because Abraham let God chose, he ended up moving into the pro where, where it was eventually the promised land and now the region that includes Israel. Because Lot chose for himself, he ended up moving to Sodom and Gomorrah and his whole land got destroyed by fire and brimstone. Make sure when you're on your faith journey, you don't compromise and choose for yourself. Let God show you. Let God confirm his word with you. Amen? Amen. All right. The second legend is Noah. How many people know Noah? Noah's Ark. Come on, we all know Noah's Ark. Um, Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. That is my prayer, Pastor Quacha. I want to be divinely warned of things that other people can't see. I want to live a prophetic life. I want to be with God so much. He's like, nope, don't go there. It's about to happen. Go there because this is about to happen divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, not fear of man, but godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Genesis six seventeen is when God comes to him and says, Behold, I myself, God, am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is is the breath of life, everything that is on the earth shall die. Imagine God coming to you with this. 
But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And so we, a lot of us probably know this story of, of Noah's ark, and, and God comes to Noah and says, I want you to build an ark so they can float on the floodwaters that I'm about to bring. Well, it had never rained before. And so talk about faith. Noah was told to build an ark the size of a football field, and they didn't have cranes and stuff back then. I don't know if you know that. This was a long time ago. Uh, Not only that, but uh, Noah was 500 years old at this time, And, uh, and so God comes and says, I want you to build an ark. And by the way, the ark took probably 75 years to build. It was like 60 to 75 years to build this thing. And so Noah had to step out in faith despite what everybody probably around him was saying. So in this time, the Bible says that the whole, the whole earth was wicked. And, and Noah was the only one righteous. He was the only one perfect in his generation. So God said, you know what? I will kill everybody and everything on the earth except you and your family. And, I'm gonna, and I've called you to repopulate the whole earth. Like what an assignment. I'm going to give you an assignment. I want you to populate the whole earth after you build an ark for 75 years at the age of 500. And, uh, and so, he, so, so Noah says, yes, yes, God, I'll do it. But because the world was so wicked, can you imagine all the ridicule, the people laughing at Noah? What do you mean it's going to rain? What's rain? Well, God told me. God told you everybody's wicked. They're like, God doesn't even exist. Who cares about God? What are you doing? So I would, I would think that over these 75 years, Noah would have been getting made fun of. He would probably would have felt embarrassed. He would have been ridiculed by his neighbors, by his friends, by people walking by. Yet he moved with godly fear, not human fear, and he fulfilled the mission that God showed him. One of the things that uh, I, I think that we've done at Awaken Church since the time I've been here, which is uh, 17 years, is we've moved with godly fear. Um, we've stood for freedom and righteousness ever since I've been here, not just during COVID. I remember in the 2016 election, uh, you know, we we were standing up for what was right. And we were getting behind the candidate that was a patriot, not a Republican or a Democrat. The one that we felt would bring America back to, to where it should be. And so I remember doing a video on Facebook about why you should, why Christians should vote for Donald Trump. Because everyone's like, he's not a Christian. I can't believe we're going to vote for him. We needed a leader not a Christian. And so he was the, he was the, the one guy that, that I felt could get us to this place and that, you know, a lot of us felt the same. So I did this video and uh, it goes viral and I'm getting death threats from people that I'm this evil Christian. How could a pastor say this and that? Even though I said, I'm taking off my pastor hat and I am just a citizen and this is how I'm doing this video. People are like, I can't believe you would do that. I mean, it got kind of freaky. Even my parents were like, um, are you okay? Like, do you need security? And it was just because of this, because of this video, like it was, it was wild. Um, and then, you know, as a church, we were, we were standing up for freedom and we always have. If, if It's hard to stand up to a global pandemic if you've never stood before. But because we stood before, we were able to stand up to that. And because we have a great leader who was divinely warned of that which is to come, 
we were able to we were able to to stand up despite the ridicule, despite the con the the condemnation, despite all that, we were able to stand. And a lot of you were standing with us, of course. And so, um, and so we stood we stood up despite the ridicule. Most pastors weren't talking about things because they were moving in fear of man. So they feared losing people more than they feared losing God. I fear losing God more than I fear losing people. We have people leave all the time because I mentioned the T word, Trump. On Wednesday, I preached and I mentioned it because we just got back from Mar-a-Lago. People got up and left. And that's okay because next year they would have left anyways. It's going to get crazy next year. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Even though he wasn't a Christian, he was the most pro-Christian president we've ever had. <laughs> Just a, uh, on a side note, but this isn't about this isn't about that. This is about this is about you moving in godly fear more than moving in the fear of man. I remember when I got hired uh, at, at church um, for the first time in 2010, and in before I worked for the church, I was uh, in real estate, still had my license and stuff, but. Uh, and before that, I played baseball. So at UCLA, when I played baseball, um, those were like kind of all of kind of like my friends, my buddies, my old school. They knew me as, you know, John, the baseball guy. I was their leader. I was the captain of the team. Um, I wasn't really living as a Christian, although they knew I was a Christian. But I was, I was leading in everything. I was leading them to the club, you know, to the bar. <laughs> on the field. And so, so for me to, to, to go to a, a football game with all of my old buddies and say, yeah, hi, I got hired by the church. And none of them are Christians. And so I just felt so weak for myself in that environment because I knew how they were looking at me. And then uh, when I said I was the events guy, that was even another level, like down, like, because when your Pastor Jurgen called me and said we got a spot for you on the team, it's the events coordinator. I I said, isn't that a isn't that a girl's job, Pastor? And uh, <laughs> and um, he's like, well, we got a spot for you if you want to take it. It's a way to get you on the team. So I said, all right, call me the events guy then, not the events coordinator. I want to call the events guy. And so uh, so not only was I working for a church, but I was the events guy. And then I had to go back to all my, you know, manly man buddies who are fully in the world doing all these crazy things and tell them that. And uh, so I just felt like very embarrassed kind of going to that game. But I, but, I, but I knew God had called me. And they had no reference to how awesome our church was or how awesome God was because they weren't Christians or how, you know, our events are some of the greatest events in the, in the world. Um, and so, so I, remember, I remember telling them that and just feeling like kind of weak, but, but believing that, you know, moving in godly fear. Like, I, I, although I was seemingly embarrassed, I, I knew that God had called me. And when I, when I started to tell them that and they found out I'm working for the church and whatever, become a pastor, I actually lost most of those friends. I mean, they're still friends, but they stopped inviting me to things and, and whatever. I don't even barely talk to any of them anymore. But because I moved in godly fear... God has replenished my friendship group with awesome people uh, in the house of God, people that we can do life together with and everything else. But if I would have bowed to human fear, 
or the fear of man, I probably would have never taken that job or I would definitely would have never shared it with, with those guys. But my goal is to get those guys saved. My goal is to, to have God do in their life what he's done in my life. And let me just tell you this, I'd rather have my life than any of those lives. And so, um, and so I, want, I want to ask you the question, are, are, you, are you, despite what God calls you to do, um, like Noah, are you moving in godly fear or are you moving in the fear of man? Because if you're moving in godly fear, it doesn't really matter what ridicule comes against you. You're going to end up on top. You're going to be the legend in the whole scenario, not the people that are coming against you. So I want to challenge you in 2020 more that to move in godly fear, not in the fear of man. Can somebody say amen? Amen. The last legend in the Bible that I want to talk about very quickly before we come to a close is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Acts 10.38 says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. The title of this series is God with us. Jesus never questioned if God was with him. He just went around and did good everywhere he went. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He preached the gospel. He made crooked things straight. He made sick things healed. He made bound things free. He just went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. And the Bible says that you and I are to do what Jesus did. You and I are doing what Jesus did despite the adversity that it looks like. I mean, Jesus went through some adversity. Everybody was ridiculing him. I mean, he got killed. And then he came back to life. He had never done that before. That was his first time being killed and coming back to life. But yet he did it. He saw it as an opportunity. He's like, they're going to kill me and then I got to get up in three days? Oh, God doesn't want to make me a loser. He wants to make me a legend. He wants to make me the Messiah. He wants to make me the Savior. He looked at it as, as an opportunity. You and I should be walking around looking for miracle opportunities almost like testing God in, in a way. Like God, God doesn't mind you putting his name on the line. I remember um, a number of years ago, um, I, don't, I don't know if I was, a, uh, I probably was a pastor at that time. I think so. I got a call from my sister and she said that her friend's son or a friend of a friend's son was going down a hill on a, on a skateboard without a helmet, hit a rock, tumbled, smashed his head on the ground and um and he was they basically said he had 24 hours to live and uh and so I I'm like yeah I'll go pray for him and so because because here's the thing I don't need to ask God if I should pray for somebody that's sick he already said to I don't need to ask God to do things that are already in here this is the will of God Jesus is the will of God in action. Just do what he did, and you will be led by the Spirit, and you will do the will of God. So I go, so I go into this, this, this hospital, and, uh, you know, this is probably 10 years ago. And I go into this hospital, and there's the mom, who I think was maybe the only Christian in the room, um, and I don't think she went to church, but she would say that she believed God. And then there's maybe like 10 other people in there, and it was like this crazy environment. And then there was this uh, poor young guy, this teenage boy, who had just hit his head and, and they said was going to die in the next 24 hours. The doctors couldn't really do anything. He was hooked up to everything. He was in a coma. And uh, so I went in there, and I didn't have the, 
the um, guts to kick everybody out of the room like Jesus did. You know, when he went in to pray for people, he's like, hey, if you don't got faith, get out of here. I was kind of younger, and I'm like, uh, having been in this many situations, I'm like, I'm just going to go in. So I go in, and, uh, and I just begin to, to pray like nobody was in the room for this kid to, to, to get up to be healed. And, and, and it, was, it was this impossible situation. He's going to die in 24 hours. But I looked at it as an opportunity for God to trust me with power for God to take my status up, not to glorify me, but to glorify him. He doesn't want to make you a legend so that you can glorify yourself. He wants to make you a legend because the, the more legendary you are, the more legendary he'll be. So I, I went in and I just prayed for this, for this kid, believing God that maybe he'd show up. Maybe he'd show up. So the next day I get a call and, and he, he did show up. He was, he was no longer on his deathbed. Something had shifted. Something had changed. And he was still not doing great, but he wasn't going to die. And then they said, they said, hey, can you come back and pray again because his left side is paralyzed. So I went in again. I'll never forget, I went in and they were doing something to his skull and I went in and, and he like turned his head and it was like half of his skull was removed. It was the weirdest thing. I was like trying not to freak out, trying to stay in faith, you know. The man of God's here. And uh, so I walk in and he said, oh, the, the left side of his body is, is paralyzed. And so I just spoke to the left side of his body and commanded it to come back to life, commanded the nerves to come back, commanded feeling to come back. Man, the bones to work, the body to work. And now, you know, 10 years later, he's obviously out of the hospital. He's living a normal life. He's, he's like a, a, I don't know, probably in his uh, late 20s or something like that. And I don't, I never knew him. I never got a call from him or his mom or anybody, um, which I don't care. But I know this. I know that God did something that day. I know that, I know that because I was willing to just step out in faith and be like, maybe... Maybe God's trying to make me a legend. Maybe God's not trying to make me look like a failure or make him look like a failure. Maybe he's trying to, he's trying to uh, tell all of these people how powerful he is. Maybe he's trying to draw people to himself. Our lives should be miraculous. We should have miraculous encounters with God. We should step out in faith believing that God is with us. Peter and John go to the gate beautiful they were on their way to pray. They hadn't even prayed yet, but they got filled with the Holy Ghost a chapter earlier in Acts 2. So they go to this place and they say, silver and gold we don't have, but we do have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. They weren't all prayed up and churched up and, you know, worshiped up, but they knew God was with them. And the Bible says God will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter how you're feeling about yourself, God may want to use you to heal somebody else because he cares about them. So don't ever block God because you don't feel churched up, prayed up, worshiped up. Let God use you. Just walk around and do good and heal all that were oppressed by the devil because God is with you. Last scripture says this in Ephesians 2.10 that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if we just walk with God, 
you're literally going to run into opportunities to do good things. Because he's prepared them beforehand for you to do. Now, some of them might be scary because they might need God's influence or they might need God's power, but that's the fun part. That's the exciting part about Christianity is that nothing's out of the realm of possibility, even a 33 to nothing deficit at halftime. Come on, God doesn't want to make you a loser. He wants to make you a legend. You are an uncommon person called to do uncommon things. We are an uncommon church called to do uncommon things together. This is an uncommon time in history, and it's going to take uncommon Christians that are willing to stand up in faith and be willing to face adversity. Amen? Amen. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? I want to pray for some people. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never invited him into your world, he is the one that will make you a legend. It's him. It's all about him. He's the one that's going to give you power. He's the one that's going to give you a destiny. Come on, he's got a destiny for you like he had for Abraham, but it might take you making a decision today to invite him into your life. Or to come back into his life, or, or to rededicate yourself to him. So if you're one of those two people, if you've never invited Jesus in your life, or, or maybe you have once, but you've kind of taken your life back, but today you want to rededicate yourself. With every eye closed, can you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Is there anybody like that here this morning? God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank you in the middle. Thank you. Is there anybody else? God bless you in the center. God bless you in the center. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you over here to my right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's probably five or six people that lifted your hands. Amazing. Thank you over here to my right. Awesome. I'm so proud of you guys. It's a bold decision, but God loves bold people. Bold people of faith. All right, with every eye closed and head bowed, I want to pray this prayer. And I want everybody in the building to just repeat after me, especially those of you that lifted your hand. We're literally going to invite Jesus, the legend maker, into our lives. So everybody in the building, especially those of you that lifted your hand, repeat after me. Say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. Lord Jesus, today, I invite you into my life. I repent from my sins, and I ask that you would help me live a life that glorifies you. Today, I declare that I am saved, that heaven is my home, and that God is my Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.